Well, what a wonderful theme for our first week in May. Jesus Christ may come. Are you ready for the rapture? Now we read it together. I'm going to read it again just because of the fact I want you just to listen carefully to these words. But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, them which also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent, that means go before, them that are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of an archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. Now pay attention to that, in the clouds. To meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore comfort one another with these words. And so, uh, again, the title of our message this morning, Are You Ready for the Rapture? You know, the COVID crisis of 2020 has brought many changes about in our world. I think you know that. I think if you've been looking at all, you've recognized there's many things that have changed in this last year. And, you know, it's interesting. Our theme last year was, um, Lord, be thou my vision. It looks like God brought some things on the horizon that changed the way we see a lot of things in this world and in this life. And, well, they ought to be changed. We need to be looking at life from a different perspective. Amen? We want God to be our vision. And one of the things that we need to have in our spiritual eyesight is the fact that Jesus Christ is coming again. That needs to be in the forefront of our mind. It almost ought to be glasses, you know. They have all these, these glasses that you put on, you know, like you ever go to Disney or something like that, and you put these glasses on, it kind of makes things 3D. Well, we really need to be looking at life with the glasses, the spiritual glasses of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, or the rapture of our Lord Jesus Christ on the horizon. So we've experienced the personal impact of this pandemic. We've witnessed the national impact as well as we're learning more and more about the global impact of this pandemic. The impact far more subtle than most of us realize. It's an impact that is not just local. It's across the entire globe. Our missionaries are talking about it. They're talking about some of the things that are taking place in these foreign countries as a result of this. Governments are being overturned. There's all kinds of things that are happening right now that we would do well to uh, look at. And so I'm entitled again this message, Are You Ready for the Rapture? So let me give you again just a few, just a brief uh, survey of what we'll be talking about this morning. Okay, we want to look at first of all the conditions. The conditions. And I'll explain this. There's really nothing that has to happen before the rapture comes. But when we see all these things happening that are indicative of what's going to take place in the tribulation period, we have to say, guess what? If the tribulation is being set up, the rapture is all the more close to our, uh, our time. So uh, 
And then we want to look at also, we want to look at the contrast. Now, there's a lot of confusion, <laughs> even in some of our songs. There's a lot of confusion about the rapture versus the second coming. All right, the first thing, the song we sang was pretty clear. The second song we actually sang was a little bit mixed because of the fact it gave us uh, references to the second coming and treated them like they were the rapture. Well, the third song was actually very clear in that it was a definite rapture theme that was clear on the doctrine of the rapture. We're going to talk about the comfort that obviously God wants us to have. The last verse that we read there, verse number 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So there's comfort to be had for the believer about this wonderful doctrine. We're going to talk about the cleansing that ought to be, the purifying that ought to be taking place in the life of the believer who genuinely believes that this is imminent. And then we're going to talk about the concerns that we ought to have, concerns that every one of us ought to have because of the imminent return of the Lord. There ought to be concerns in the heart of, our, in the heart of believers for not just ourselves, but for other people as well. So, uh, so we're going to be talking about the very next event on the prophetic calendar of Scripture, the rapture of the church. And so the conditions are ripe. We're talking about ripe conditions. Folks, I want you to know something. We are sitting on ready. Okay, a little clock up there. Okay, it's 11.59. And that little ticker, I mean, we're at that. We're, we're there. We are there. You say, well, Paul thought that too. I know, but we are more there than Paul was. Okay, <laughs> just got to know that, okay? If Paul thought he was there. We are more there. And we have to understand that. I understand that with a gravity. Understand that with a sobriety. We, that we're there. We are there. And there's conditions across our world that tell us there's a rush toward globalism. I don't know if you've noticed or not. But this whole pandemic has almost opened the door for a rush toward globalism. So the conditions, again, are very, very uh, uh, present for, for, for us here. Now, again, Paul thought this. Verse number 15, Paul said this. He says, for we which are alive. Look, I'm going to go back there just to show you the, the passage here. We just come back here. All right, the, the passage. Um, in verse number 15, Paul said this. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that which we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord. So what does the word we tell you? He's including himself. So here's Paul using a pronoun called we. That means he's including himself. He's telling, he's trying to comfort the Thessalonian believers here. But he's using the pronoun we, meaning that Paul full well believed that this could happen in his day and time. Look at verse number 17. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we ever be with the Lord. So what becomes apparent to me is that Paul full well expected Christ to return even in his day. Now, there were some horrible things that were taking place back in Paul's day. There was a lot of persecution taking place. There was a lot of things that troubled the believers. And uh, some of their friends and their relatives were dying. And they were afraid that if they died and they went on to be with the Lord, that they weren't going to be able to take, to take part in the wonderful second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and all the glorious things that were going to happen on earth when Jesus Christ returned. Because, you know, they went and they're gone. And Paul writes this passage to straighten them out on this thing and to help them to understand, oh, no, 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 let me show you how it's going to happen, and we'll show you the, the little, uh, a little map that helps you to see it a little bit better. And so, so there's a rush toward globalism. 
And uh, the, the World Economic Forum. Now, I don't know if you've heard about the World Economic Forum. This is something that has been taking place here. Uh, here is a statement here. Now, listen, it links the pandemic with this World Economic Forum and what is being termed as the Great Reset. Now, folks, I'm telling you, this is all prophetic fulfillment language. You talk about globalism, one worldism. We are on the precipice of this becoming a reality, which tells us that the tribulation is right around the corner, which tells us the rapture is coming even sooner because the rapture takes place before the tribulation period. And so, Here's Klaus Schwab. He says this. He says, The pandemic represents a rare but narrow window of opportunity to reflect, to reimagine, and reset our world. I want you to know, folks, that there is a move to reset the structure of our world. Interesting, is it not? Amazon One introduced something. Amazon One, look with the little advertisement. Introducing Amazon One, a new innovation to make everyday activities effortless. This is the introduction to have your hand scanned so that we can have a cashless society. Ooh, one word, monetary system, cashless society. Amazon's already got the vehicle developed to put in your grocery stores so you can start using it. Folks, I'm telling you, all right, we are on the precipice of these things taking place here. I'm not trying to be a prophet of doom because if you believe in the rapture, this is a prophet of glory, <laughs> okay? This is a prospect of amen, all right? I'm telling you, we need to be doing rapture drills. We really ought to be. We ought to be getting ourselves ready because the fact we're going, by the way, you won't have to jump. He's going to take you just like that, amen? The twinkling of an eye, quick. And I'm telling you, these things are all taking place here. Do, do you notice the spending that's taking place in our country? How do we, $21 trillion, $22 trillion in debt, how do we have the liberty to all of a sudden have $6 trillion of spending bills? You say, well, what does that mean? It means there's going to be an economic collapse. That's what that means. You can't go on spending money. I don't care how fast you print it. You can't go on spending money without the system collapsing. This is precisely what's happening. And it's unfettered. Nobody's stopping this thing. And I'm telling you, we're just walking right into this. How about the rise in anarchy and lawlessness that we see? Defund the police. Well, we're having all kind of crime. You want to defund the police? What kind of logic is that? But if you read Isaiah, you find out that the evil is called good, and good is called evil. Up is called down. Down is called up. We are there. We are at that very place. We can't even tell if a girl is a girl and a boy is a boy anymore. Gender uh, confusion. And parents not naming or not claiming what the child is upon birth because they want the child to find out and discern this as they get older. Folks, we are at a complete confusion in our culture. And I'm telling you, listen, here's the thing. When you step into some of these ridiculous positions, there's some things you don't come back from. 
You see, we've stepped over into the abortion where you can take a child's life and then we have euthanasia. And what happens is they're not going to give up on this thing. They're not going to want to step it back. They've crossed that precipice. They're not going to want to go back. There is so much fighting to, to not have abortion measures because they've got used to it. It's an industry now. You see, this is where we are. The rise of anti-Semitism, the inflammatory language of systemic racism, the marginalization of Christianity, where they actually were making statements in political magazine that Christians perhaps could be considered domestic terrorists. Really? Why? Because we disagree with the way some of the culture is going and because we voice our opinion of disagreement, now we can possibly be considered domestic terrorists? You're going to put us on the same plane? You see what I'm saying, folks? This is what is happening in our culture. And of course, over in Israel, they're making plans. They've almost got the breeding of the red heifer, which is unnecessary for the institution of the, uh, of the, uh, uh, of the sacrificial system again, uh, to cleanse the priest. They had the, bread the red heifer has to be bred. They're right on the precipice of that to be taken place. They got plans for the third temple to be built. And so things are getting ready over there. Worldwide, things are getting ready. And what I'm telling you is the conditions are ripe. And that's my point in all of this, and I trust that you are able to take away from that. So we have the Great Reset. We have the Castle Society with Amazon One leading the way. We've got the rise in anarchy and lawlessness, the rise of anti-Semitism. Listen, the Jews have the United States as their single greatest ally. You take the United States and the current political sentiment about the Jews today take us off the map and the Jews are all by themselves. Sets us up. You get Russia funding and, 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 and having alliances and allegiances and supplying the Arab nations with all kind of weaponry. It's all lining up. It's all lining up. And so I'm telling you folks, we're at 1159. You say, you setting a date? No, <laughs> I'm not going to set a date. I'm not, because that is never something for us to do. But all of us should be living with an understanding that we are on the precipice of the coming of Jesus Christ. And so, uh, and then the gender confusion, as I stated here. And so, let's talk about the contrast. Now, the contrast, what I'm talking about here is the contrast of Jesus Christ coming and the rapture and Jesus Christ coming at the second coming. And obviously there's a confusion, but this confusion actually goes back. You know, the scripture gives us information and, and, this, and, and the diligent student of the Bible will read and, and find out what the Bible says and be able to discern, you know, where the division of different events are. For instance, back in the Old Testament, there was a lot that was talked about in the Old Testament about the coming of the Messiah and him setting up his millennial reign. And so the Jews were looking for Jesus Christ, or the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah to come back in their day and time and set up the millennial reign, you see, and that he would rule and reign from Jerusalem. And so when they looked at Jesus, even the disciples were looking at it this way. When they looked at Jesus coming, they were looking at for a deliverer. They were looking for a king to step into place. 
They didn't take Isaiah 53 into consideration that before he came as a reigning king, he had to come as a suffering servant. He had to come as the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the whole world. He had to come first and set up the kingdom of God in the hearts of men before he set up the kingdom of God in the world of men. And so they didn't see that. And so because they didn't see it, they crucified the Lord of glory. They failed to see it. He came unto his own and his own what? Received him not. But hallelujah, but as many as have received him, to them gave he power, that means authority, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And that's me and you, the Gentiles, and also the believing Jews back in that day and time. But many didn't see it. Because of disparity, they saw only one thing. That's what they so sincerely, earnestly desired, that the Messiah would come and deliver them from the Roman oppression. That's what they wanted to see. Now guess what? When we come to the second coming, we're talking about the same thing again. Jesus Christ coming to earth, right? And Jesus Christ obliterating the enemies. And Jesus Christ ruling and reigning from Jerusalem. And we rule and reign with him. Isn't that great? Guess what has to happen first? We go. <laughs> you see? We are raptured out of this world. And so, so many of the scriptures that you will read in the New Testament are confused because some people think that the New Testament teaching in Matthew and such like that in 24, we're talking about the rapture. When it's not talking about the rapture, I mean, it sounds like it's talking about the rapture. You know, some are taken, some are left. No, they think it's talking about the rapture. And so they get the doctrine skewed because it's actually talking about the second coming. It's not talking about the rapture. But this particular verse here is definitely talking about the rapture of the church. And so, we have to understand. Now, Paul actually gives both sides. In, in 2 Thessalonians, in chapter 2, in verse number 1, listen to what Paul says. Let me just go there so you can see the verse here. All right? 2 Thessalonians, chapter 2, bink, 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 verse 1 and 2, he says, let me see, verse, uh, chapter 2, I'm sorry. Yeah, verse 1. He says, now, we beseech you, brethren, by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's talking about the second coming. We beseech you by the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That is referencing the second coming. And by our gathering together unto him. That's the rapture. You see, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the second coming. Then that second portion, it says, and. So we have a separate, we have a separate event here. The first one, he says, we're beseeching you on the basis of the second coming. We're beseeching you on the basis of the rapture of the church. We have the two events listed here. They're two separate events. So Paul defines these things to him and helps them to understand. So let me give you a little bit of help and just kind of contrast it so that we understand this right here, okay? So... The rapture of the church versus the second coming of our Lord. Again, Paul talks about it here in, in, in verse 1 of chapter 2. Uh, the, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, that's the second coming. The gathering of our together Him, that's the rapture. Now, to give you a little help here, the Old Testament taught that Jesus the Messiah is coming. All right? The Gospels taught us that Jesus Christ is here. All right? And then the New Testament teaches us that Jesus Christ is coming Again, amen. amen? Well, in Bethlehem, he came to his own. All right? At the rapture, he comes for his own. The second coming, he comes 
with his own. You see, this is how it works. And if you get this straight, it sure helps you to understand how the whole prophetic calendar is supposed to work. He's already come to his own. He's about to come for his own. Seven years will be in heaven with him while the world is going through absolute craziness and tribulation. But at the end of that, the second coming, he comes with his own. Amen? We will have celebrated the marriage supper of the Lamb up there because we are the bride of Christ. We're going to be wed to Jesus Christ. We're the bride of Christ. We're already the bride of Christ. But it's going to be a wonderful celebration time. Seven years, not down here. Not down here. It's going to be horrible down here. But during that time, we're going to be up there in heaven with Christ while the world is going crazy. Absolutely crazy. So it's important for us to understand that. Now let me give you, let me see if you can um, see this right here. Can you see that? I guess you can. If I took it and blew it up a little bit, how's that? Does that help a little bit? Uh, there. Okay, so you see here. So, so Jesus Christ over here. See, Jesus Christ died over here, this place right here, all right? And then he ascended, and he's up in heaven, all right? And he says, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there may you be also. So that's where Jesus Christ is. And then Pentecost came, and the Spirit was given, and he was sent to the believers to help them and to guide them in this life, okay? Now we're in a time that uh, the, the, the theologians refer to as the church age. This is the time when the Gentiles are actually hearing the gospel, and there's a Gentile movement toward God. And so this is the time of the Gentiles, and sometimes it's referred to in that respect there. All right, now. It says here, Israel is reborn, Jeremiah chapter 23, verse 7 and 8. In May of 1948, Israel became a nation again. And ever since that time, May of 1948, the Jews have been gathering and have been migrating back to Jerusalem. All right? They've been coming from all different parts of the world and migrating back to Jerusalem. President Trump just made it so that the capital of, of, of Israel is now in Jerusalem. All of these are things that are, again, preparing for these end times, the fulfillment of things in the end times. Now, so what happens now is we are waiting for this event. Okay, the little thing down here says, you are here. I would say, you are, you are right there. <laughs> there you are. We're right there, okay? And, um, and so... 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 through 18. This is our text today. It's talking about the rapture of the church. Okay, we go to heaven. And then what follows is the seven-year tribulation time. All right, horrible time. Seven-year tribulation. This is what follows here. And then what happens is, okay, we are all with Christ. And then we're going to return and come back with him. And then he's going to set up his millennial kingdom. He's going to judge the nations. He's going to set up his millennial kingdom. And that's when you separate the sheep from the goats. That's when you have that separation. The ones who are taken, it's not the Christians. The Christians stay. The ones who are taken are the unsaved. And the millennial reign starts with all believers. All believers. And we come back with Christ we're glorified, we have our glorified bodies, we come back with Christ and we come back to rule and reign with Him. He reigns from Jerusalem, we help in the ruling and reigning process all throughout the world. So this is what's going to happen for us. But, 
There's still going to be people who are going to have children. They're going to they, in other words, they don't have their glorified bodies yet. They're going to have regular bodies. Uh, many of them have got saved during the tribulation time. And consequently, they're going to be living. They're going to have children. They're going to, they're going to be growing up. And so consequently, they're, but they're going to grow up in a world of a thousand years where God blesses because of the obedience to the scriptures. And they're going to have children, but their children are going to have to get saved too. And at the end of that, Satan, of course, is bound during the thousand-year period, but he's loosed at the end of that thousand-year period, and he's loosed, and consequently, there are still some people who will end up following him at the very end. And then at the end of that, God judges once again, and then we have Satan's last stand in Revelation 20, verse 7 through 10. Then we have the great white throne judgment, and then over here, Revelation 21 and 22, is the new heavens and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. That's the prophetic calendar. That's what's before us. That's what's going to happen. That's what the scriptures teach us. And so we just need to understand this so that we can realize what's next on the calendar of our events here. So let's talk about the comfort. I already talked about the conditions that look very ripe. We've talked about not only the conditions, but the contrast, the second coming versus the rapture. So let's talk about the comfort, because there's comfort to be had. The very last verse that he says, verse number 18, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Okay, our world is in a mess. Uh, yes or no? Yes. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, it sure is. Our world is in a mess. There's no two ways about it. Our country is imploding. It, it just is. It's, listen, how are you going to get... How are you going to get these competing factors and mindsets to come together in the United States? I mean, how do you take the abortion mindset and the, and the right to life mindset, how do you take those and unite them and come up with something that's going to work? You don't come together on some of these things. You know, there, there are things that you're not going to bring together because we are so diametrically opposed in our views in this world. I'm telling you. Um, the liberalism, and I don't even call it liberal and conservatism, I just call it truth and, 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 and not truth. <laughs> they don't meet together. And, and, and we are more and more uh, going opposite directions at this time. So our country is imploding. We're seeing this. Uh, we're, we're throwing out our Constitution. I think our Constitution went out with the Obama era. But the truth of the matter is, uh, we're throwing out our Constitution. There was a last-ditch effort in the last administration to try to bring things back to our Constitution, but the truth of the matter is, there's no regard for the Constitution now. They want to take and they want to pack the Supreme Court. They want to have a filibuster that basically makes them have free reign in the, uh, in the Senate. And if they do, basically all they have to do is have, uh, you know, political, um, you got a, whatever majority you have, you're able to do whatever you want. And that's basically what's happening right now. You know, we spend whatever we want to. And it's a sad deal. It's a sad deal. But wait a second. It's a sad deal, but guess what? It's bringing us all closer to what we're looking forward to. Amen? Yeah, it's sad for a lot of things, but uh, it's a glorious thing. Glory, glory, haste to prepare the way. Amen? Uh, glory, glory, Jesus may come today. This is not doom and gloom. This is glory, get ready. Amen? It's sad. There are sad parts of it. We'll talk about that. So our country's imploding. Our families are disintegrating. We don't even know what a family is anymore. In many respects, it's a sad thing. Uh, we're, we're calling all kinds of things a family, uh, things that God never intended to be a family, and uh, it's a sad thing. And so uh, the family's in bad disarray, and uh, um, what's the answer? Or better put, who's the answer? Who's the answer? That's the question. 
Well, this is the verse says. In Titus chapter 2, verse 13, it says, looking for that blessed hope. The what? The what? The blessed hope. Hope. This is something we look forward to. This is something that, that, uh, that is a bright spot in our thinking. The blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what are we looking for? Okay. What are we looking for? I should say, who are we looking for? Sorry, I probably rephrased my my question right. We're looking for Jesus Christ. He's the blessed hope. And we're looking for that glorious appearing of our God and Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what we're looking for. The blessed hope. This is a blessed hope. It gives our hearts great joy to think about the prospect of Christ coming. Us being delivered from this craziness down here. It's a blessed hope. Uh, but also it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So shall we what? How long? How long? So shall we ever be with the Lord. Is that not a wonderful thought? Does that not comfort your heart? Hey, we just might be. We just might be the generation that never sees death. We just might be. You say you're afraid to die? Not necessarily. I'm not so crazy about how I might die, but anyway. But uh, No, I mean, I know where I'm going to go when I die, so I'm not afraid of that part. I mean, none of us, I think, want to think about withering away in a nursing home someplace or having a, you know, a stroke and, and basically sitting like a vegetable in a wheelchair for uh, weeks, months, and years on end. Nobody, nobody wants to think about that kind of thing. But, oh, boy, I tell you what, when you talk about... Hallelujah. Now, I can get into that, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I mean, that can be good news. That's good news. And so if anybody has the prospect of this, I really think we do. I really think we're there. And I really think we need to live with these glasses on. And that is that Jesus Christ is coming again. Now, there's more to it than just having hope that we're going to get out of here. Okay? There's responsibility, too, and I hope you understand that. But it's a wonderful thing. Verse 18 says, Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. And this is what I'm trying to do right now, is I'm trying to comfort you. Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit of doom and gloom in the beginning, talking about all the different things that are taking place that don't look good for our country, for our, for our world, and such like that. But hold on. We're going to be comforted in the, in the greatest way that you can imagine. Paul said that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in, in, in us. You know, when Paul suffered, you just read his litany of suffering in Corinthians and see all the things that he suffered. He says, you can add all those things up, bing, 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 get your line item, put it down at the bottom. And I'm telling you that the glory that we're going to experience in Jesus Christ isn't worthy to be compared with all that suffering. It doesn't even hold a candle. So folks, we have a lot to look forward to. Christians have a most glorious future. And we all need to understand this, the wonderful future God has for us. And so the comfort that we have in this prophetic event, well, then we move to the cleansing. The cleansing. What do you mean the cleansing? 1 John chapter, let me go there, 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3, but I want to read verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 says this, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him. We shall see him as he is. 
That's glorious in and of itself. How many of you were able to do things when you were 18 that you can't do right now? How many of you are 18? All right. You don't know that yet, okay? Let's just give you a little clue here, okay? When you get older, can't jump quite as high. Can't roll over quite as fast. Can't get up when you get knocked down quite as quick. You know, the shoulders ache. You know, you sit down, your legs ache. Your eyes don't see. Your ears don't hear. Your tongue don't taste. Your smell doesn't smell. Your smell doesn't see. I mean, things just change when you get older, all right? So if you're 18, you don't know what I'm talking about. If you're eight, you don't know what I'm talking about. But if you're 80, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> if, you're, if you're 60, you probably know what I'm talking about, okay? Uh, next marathon, we're not signing up. Right? You know, we're just not signing up. Now, we'll look. <laughs> we'll cheer as we sit in our lawn chair. But we won't be, on the, we won't be out there. Now, I know there's some people that do, but um, anyway, we'll go on. Um, the cleansing. And verse number three says this, And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Okay, we're looking forward to seeing Jesus Christ, but do you understand when you see Jesus Christ, you know what he stands for. He stands for holiness. He stands for righteousness. He's your creator. He's your Lord. He's your Savior. He's your judge. You see... And we have to see all of this. It's like, you know, some of you guys have a yearly or maybe semi-annual review where you have to stand before either a board or whoever it is that, you know, comes and evaluates everything that you've done in the last six months or a year. And for some of you, it can be a little bit of an unnerving type of situation. Oh, they're going to bring before you all the things that you have or have not done and why you haven't done it to a greater degree. Not something that most people look forward to evaluations, other people evaluating us. But hold a second. We're going to stand before God. We're going to give an account. For the things that we've done in this body, will they be good? Will they be evil? Now, there's no condemnation to those, to those of us who are in Christ Jesus, so we're not worried about condemnation. But I think all of us are concerned about disappointment. I think all of us are concerned about wasted time, wasted opportunity, things we should have did that we didn't things that we shouldn't have done that we did, things that we knew we should have confessed but we never did, and we'll face those things, and we'll feel shame. So there's coming a day of reckoning for believers. We have to understand that. As a part of this, it's not going to be extreme joy. You say, but, but doesn't the Bible say that God wipes away all tears? Yeah, if you read it carefully, that's in Revelation 21 22. That's when the new heaven and new earth come into being. So that tells me that there might be a few tears between here and there. Because it doesn't say that the tears are wiped away until afterwards. So there's a seriousness about this. There's a sobriety. There's a, there's a, that's why Paul so often tells us that we should be sober. He's not talking about not being drunk, he's talking about serious about your Christian life and living. We really need to live with a seriousness. And everybody that understands the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ understands the imminent nature. Now, when I say imminent nature, I'm talking about it could happen any time. 
Absolutely anytime. There's nothing on the prophetic calendar that has to happen. You say, what about all those conditions you talked about? I talked about the conditions because those are the conditions of the tribulation that are going to exist. And the rapture comes before the tribulation. So, logic has it that if the tribulation is coming in on the horizon and the rapture is before the tribulation, be ready. Because it comes first. But nothing has to happen for the rapture to happen. Nothing. Paul thought it could happen in his day. And he didn't have all these things. You know one of the reasons liberal theologians gave up and actually started to what they call allegorize some of these statements. They, some, some people don't believe that Jesus is coming again. They think it's all allegorical. It's all pictures. It's all stories. It's all figurative. The reason is because like, when they read things like, every eye shall see him, they said there's no way in the world that every eye can see him. Guess what? There are now ways that every eye shall see him. But see, we should have believed that before the iPhone, or before the cell phones that we have today. But because they said there's no way that can possibly happen. In other words, if Jesus Christ came over there in Jerusalem, how could we over here in America see him in Jerusalem? I don't think he's coming with a flash of lightning. I think he's coming in the sky so everybody can see him proceeding. Just like the two witnesses when they die, they're going to rise and everybody's going to see him, them rise. How? They're going to have their cell phones. And somebody's going to be videoing that thing. And it's going to be put all over the internet and everything. And people are going to be able to see that event that takes place over in Jerusalem. They're going to see that event here in America and wherever. See, we now have the ability to see things like that. But see, liberal theologians thought that there's no way this can happen. So it all must be an allegory. It all must be figurative language. There's no way that can be literal. No. Jesus Christ, there was over 100 prophecies foretelling the coming, the first, yeah, first advent or the first coming of Jesus Christ. Over 100 prophecies, and they were all literal. Born of a virgin, that wasn't figurative, it was literal. Born in Bethlehem, not literal, figurative, it was literal. All those fulfillments of the first coming of Jesus Christ were all literal fulfillments. Why should we think that the second coming is going to be figurative? when all the first coming prophecy was literal. No, it's going to be just as literal. Every eye shall see him. We will see him in the cloud. They will see him in the clouds, you see. It's going to be a literal, just like God said. Whether man can figure it out or not, it's going to be just like God said. And so, let God be true, and every man a liar. Because it could happen any time. Because it will happen faster than you can make a decision to be saved. The twinkling of an eye. That's how fast it's going to be when he comes back. You will not have time to say, Oh, Lord, save me! No, too late. Saints are out of here, and you're left behind. You're going to go through the tribulation. Can people get saved in the tribulation? Yes. Some will. Most won't. Because the devil will have a strong delusion 
a lie. And folks, if you don't believe that lies have power, just look at the last year and see the power of lies. See what sheeple will do. When people get up there that have PhDs or doctors or whatever their particular persuasions are, and they start talking with authority, and all the people who are scared to die just do whatever they say. I'm telling you, folks, it doesn't matter what they say. Um, It'll happen faster than you can confess your sins. Now, if you had your sins confessed already, and if you confess your sins daily, and you say, God, forgive me if I've done, that's fine. But if you're waiting to do that on the way, uh, it ain't going to happen. But, 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 no, 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 it's not going to happen that way. I'm not trying to be facetious. I'm trying to tell you, there's a purifying hope because of the fact that if you really believe this is going to happen, and you really believe in the imminence of this event, you won't wait. You will not wait. It's going to happen faster than you can change your lifestyle. You're not going to change your lifestyle from here to there. It's not going to happen faster than you can change your attitude. It's going to happen that fast. You'll be in the very presence of God. If you're a born-again believer. Or you'll be left behind. That's sad. You should live pure and expectant, ready and looking for his appearing. Scripture says, But the grace of God which bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Soberly, righteously, godly, in this present world. Some people say, oh, he's not coming. So you know what they're doing? They're living like the rest of the world. Folks, he is coming. He is coming. If you're a believer... You'll see him before you understand. It's a purifying hope. He purifieth himself. You know there's a word, Maranatha. The word Maranatha is a Syriac expression that means our Lord comes. You know, back in the New Testament church, that used to be the greeting of believers. You know, we, when we get together in a church, and say, hey, how's it going? How you doing? Back in the early church, that's not how they greeted one another. Well, they greeted each other with Maranatha. What are they doing? They're reminding each other of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. That was their greeting. That was one of the ways that they kept the church thinking about this very doctrine that is so important in the purifying of the minds of the believers, reminding each other every time they saw each other, our Lord comes, Maranatha. Our Lord comes, Maranatha. That's how they greeted one another in the early church. This rapture of the church needs to be on the forefront of our minds. This is to a quote by J.C. Ryle. He said this, The reality of his imminent return should cause us to be ready at any time. 
Those who denounce the doctrine of the second advent as speculative, fanciful, and unpractical would do well to reconsider the subject. The doctrine was not so regarded in the days of the apostles. In their eyes, patience, hope, diligence, moderation, personal holiness were inseparably connected to an expectation of the Lord's return. Happy is the Christian who has learned to think with them. To be ever looking for the Lord's appearing is one of the best helps to walk close to the Lord. Good quote. Good thoughts. Right on. Spot on. Cleansing. And then there's another thing. And I finish with this, the concern. The concern. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13, he says, But I would not have you ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not. Now listen to what he says. Even as others which have no hope. Now listen, there's a great difference between the believer and the unbeliever. First of all, we have a blessed hope. Amen? They have no hope. And he says that don't act like those who are sorrowing and have no hope. You see, folks, there's a people out there who don't know that Jesus Christ is coming again. There's a people out there that don't even know that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save their soul and deliver them from the penalty of their sin so that they can have eternal life. There's people out there that don't yet know that. And every one of them is on a toboggan slide toward eternal destruction in hell. And the devil is a deceiver. He's going to deceive them and has deceived them. And ultimately his desire is to destroy them. Folks, even during the tribulation time, the devil will send what the Bible refers to as strong delusion. He will send a lie, a strong delusion that even some of the folks, if we were still here, could well believe that same lie. There's a lot of Christians that have believed the lies that are being perpetrated even today. The men's group right now, we're reading a book. We're actually studying through a book. Lies men believe. The ladies are studying through a book, Lies Women Believe. Our world is inundated with lies, and we should not be surprised because the Bible says the devil is a liar and the father of lies. How are people being controlled these days? They're being controlled by lies. And the deceptiveness of a lie can cause people to live completely differently. And the more a lie is just close enough to the truth to be believable, the more dangerous it is. And so we have to be very careful. But the concern that you sorrow not even as others which have no hope. There are some people that don't have any hope right now. That should concern us. That concerns you. You might have family members that right now have no hope. They don't know your Jesus Christ. They don't know the salvation that God has given us and given us as, as people here on planet Earth. They don't know it. But they need to. Those who are not ready 
will go through the Great Tribulation. I mean, that's at least. That's at least. If the trumpet blows today, every one of us that know Jesus Christ will be instantly removed from here. Who's going to witness to them? But I guarantee you the devil's going to have an explanation. Somehow, CNN, ABC, NBC, whatever it is, they're going to come across with some kind of explanation as to where all these people went and how they disappeared. Maybe those UFOs out there have Christian removers, you know what I mean? You know, all of a sudden Christians are gone. It's those UFOs. I don't know what they're going to say. I don't know. It's going to be strong delusion, though. And the world's going to believe it. And like I said, if you just, if you just examine this last year and see how, how willing people were to believe things that before they said were preposterous, you realize how easy people can be deceived. So strong delusion is going to come. And then comes a deliverer, somebody who has the answers to the world's craziness. And he comes on with great leadership and he takes control and he makes peace over there in the Middle East. And it all looks really well and good for the first three and a half years. We're on our way to peace and prosperity. Oh, you think so, huh? Then about three and a half years into that. But then God starts raining down all those judgments that you read in Revelation 6 and Revelation 7 and Revelation 8 and Revelation 9 and Revelation 10. And those things start happening. Oh, buddy. The problem is, is that most of the world's population will die. You say, Pastor, it's terrible for you to say, I'm just telling you what it says. I'm not making the story up. I'm just reporting most of them will die. Many will be deceived and deluded with, the, with, with, with strong delusion, and many will die. Yeah, there'll they'll be 144,000 Jews that'll finally find out who their Messiah is. They'll be great witnesses, and they'll be running for their lives the whole time. There'll be two witnesses that show up on the scene and explain what's exactly supposed to be going on. There'll be some revival-type elements, but most of the people will not believe it. It will be opposed by most of the world, and fought by the global elites. The ones who want to maintain control. Remember back when Jesus came? There were religious elites that didn't want to give up their power. Well, guess what? The mentality is still here on planet Earth. I'm telling you. So, Pastor, you're crazy. Okay. Say what you want. Read your Bible. See what you get out of it. That's what the scripture says. Some will be saved, but most will die. That's a sad thing. It's a concern. People will be subject to lies and strong delusion. This is the concern about this prophetic event. I don't know about you, but I'm looking forward to it. But I certainly don't like to think about the folks that I know that don't know Jesus. I certainly don't look forward to it from their standpoint. And, and you say, well, why is God waiting so long? The Lord's not willing that any should perish, but that should all should come to repentance. God created every human being on planet Earth. You know what he wants? He wants every one of them to be saved. And I think God just lets the clock tick on because God loves people. And we ought to love people too. And God loves people, and he wants people to come to Jesus Christ. I mean, he gave his only begotten son so they can have eternal life, so they can be delivered from all of this awful stuff. 
God loves people. And so God allows this world to tick on in its craziness because he just wants to get a few more people to be part of his eternal kingdom. And what if one of those people was your daddy? And what if one of those people was your son? And what if one of those people was your brother? And what if one of those people were your kid? Or your neighbor? Wouldn't you just be rejoicing all over the place if your son got saved, or your daughter got saved, or your neighbor got saved, or your brother got saved, or your sister got saved, or your dad got saved, and the next day Jesus comes? You said, wow. That's why God waits, because he loves people. So we ought to have a measure of concern, because these people that die without Christ have an awful future, for the most part. What an event it'll be. The conditions are ripe for the rapture. The contrasting event with the second event, uh, with the second coming, but it's still very significant. The comforting, it's a comforting event for the church. Hallelujah. Even so, come Lord Jesus, amen? amen. It's a cleansing event for the Christian. We ought to live with a purified spirit and attitude about this, realizing that at any moment he could come but it's a concerning event for the unsaved. A very concerning event for the unsaved. And so for those of us that are here, I ask you this question, are you ready for the rapture? Are you ready for the rapture? And we're gonna take time around the Lord's table. And we're going to kind of revisit what Jesus Christ did on that cross, how that he gave his body to be broken and he gave his blood to be shed so we could have this wonderful eternal life. But I trust that you think about some of these things, about purifying your heart, your soul. I pray, trust that you will think about some of these things in preparation for our time around the Lord's table. Paul said we're supposed to examine ourselves. He said that because of the fact we shouldn't be taking these elements lightly. Because they represent something very, very sacred to us. A Savior who died and gave his blood and broke unbroken body for our sins. So we're going to bow our heads and close our eyes. And I want you to, if there's anything in your heart and mind that you know that you need to confess to God just to make this next time around the Lord's table more meaningful to you, a better time, a deeper time of fellowship, then this is a good time for you just to say, God, forgive me. God, help me. God, I want to live with a purified heart and mind. I don't want to hang on to my sin. I don't want to fellowship with the world. I don't want to live closer to the world. I want to live close to Jesus. Let's spend a few seconds, do mine, a few minutes, just preparing our hearts for our time around the Lord's table.